0: Welcome to Bite at a Time Books, behind the story, where we answer the questions you have about your favorite classic authors. What inspired your favorite author to write their novels? What was going on in the world at the time? Follow along with us as we tell you what was happening in the world while your favorite authors wrote your favorite classics. My name is Bree Carlisle, and I love to read and wanted to share my passion with listeners like you. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us so you get all the new episodes. If you want to see exclusive behind-the-scenes of our show, join our Patreon. We would also love for you to drop us a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share our show with your friends. You can catch us on all the social medias, at Byte at a Time Books. Our show is part of the Byte at a Time Books Productions Network. If you would also like to hear a story by the author we are currently featuring, check out the Bite at a Time Books podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Right now, we are reading Jane Eyre. Today, we will be talking about Charlotte Bronte's novel, Jane Eyre, what possibly inspired the novel, and about the novel. Jane Eyre, originally published as Jane Eyre in Autobiography, is a novel by English writer Charlotte Bronte, published under the pen name Currer Bell on October 16, 1847, by Smith, Elder, and Company of London. The first American edition was published the following year by Harper and Brothers of New York. Jane Eyre is a Bildungsroman, which follows the experiences of its eponymous heroine, including her growth to adulthood and her love for Mr. Rochester, the brooding master of Thornfield Hall. The novel revolutionized prose fiction by being the first to focus on its protagonist's moral and spiritual development through an intimate first-person narrative, where actions and events are colored by a psychological intensity. Charlotte Bronte has been called the first historian of the private consciousness and the literary ancestor of writers like Proust and Joyce. The book contains elements of social criticism with a strong sense of Christian morality at its core, and it is considered by many to be ahead of its time because of Jane's individualistic character and how the novel approaches the topics of class, sexuality, religion, and feminism. It, along with Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, is one of the most famous romance novels of all time. Jane Eyre is divided into 38 chapters it was originally published in three volumes in the 19th century, comprising chapters 1-15, to 16-27, and 28-38. to 38. The second edition was dedicated to William Makepeace Thackeray. The novel is a first-person narrative from the perspective of the title character. Its setting is somewhere in the north of England, late in the reign of George III, 1760-1820. It has five distinct stages— Jane's childhood at Gateshead Hall, where she is emotionally and physically abused by her aunt and cousins. Her education at Lowood School, where she gains friends and role models but suffers privations and oppression. Her time as governess at Thornfield Hall, where she falls in love with her mysterious employer, Edward Fairfax Rochester her time in the Moore House, during which her earnest but cold clergyman cousin St. John Rivers proposes to her, and ultimately her reunion with and marriage to her beloved Rochester. Throughout these sections, it provides perspectives on a number of important social issues and ideas, many of which are critical of the status quo. The Five Stages of Jane's Life Gateshead Hall Jane Eyre, aged 10, lives at Gateshead Hall with her maternal uncle's family, the Reeds, as a result of her uncle's dying wish. Jane was orphaned several years earlier when her parents died of typhus. Mr. Reed, Jane's uncle, was the only member of the Reed family who was ever kind to Jane. Jane's aunt, Sarah Reed, dislikes her, abuses her, and treats her as a burden. Mrs. Reed also discourages her three children from associating with Jane. As a result, Jane becomes defensive against her cruel judgment. The nursemaid, Bessie, proves to be Jane's only ally in the household, even though Bessie occasionally scolds Jane harshly. Excluded from the family activities, Jane leads an unhappy childhood with only a doll and books with which to entertain herself. One day, as punishment for defending herself against her cousin John Reed, Jane is relegated to the Red Room, in which her late uncle had died, There, she faints from panic after she thinks she has seen his ghost. The Red Room is significant because it lays the grounds for the ambiguous relationship between parents and children, which plays out in all of Jane's future relationships with male figures throughout the novel. She is subsequently attended to by the kindly apothecary, Mr. Lloyd, to whom Jane reveals how unhappy she is living at Gateshead Hall. He recommends to Mrs. Reed that Jane should be sent to school, an idea Mrs. Reed happily supports. Mrs. Reed then enlists the aid of the harsh Mr. Brocklehurst, who is the director of Lowood Institution, a charity school for girls, to enroll Jane. Mrs. Reed cautions Mr. Brocklehurst that Jane has a tendency for deceit, which he interprets as Jane being a liar. Before Jane leaves, however, she confronts Mrs. Reed and declares that she'll never call her aunt again. Jane also tells Mrs. Reed and her daughters, Georgiana and Eliza, that they are the ones who are deceitful, and that she will tell everyone at Lowood how cruelly the Reeds treated her. Mrs. Reed is hurt badly by these words, but does not have the courage or tenacity to show this. Lowood Institution At Lowood Institution, a school for poor and orphaned girls, Jane soon finds that life is harsh. She attempts to fit in and befriends an older girl, Helen Burns. During a class session, her new friend is criticized for her poor stance and dirty nails and receives a lashing as a result. Later, Jane tells Helen that she could not have been born such public humiliation, but Helen philosophically tells her that it would be her duty to do so. Jane then tells Helen how badly she has been treated by Mrs. Reed, but Helen tells her that she would be far happier if she did not bear grudges. In due course, Mr. Brocklehurst visits the school. While Jane is trying to make herself look inconspicuous, she accidentally drops her slate, thereby drawing attention to herself. She is then forced to stand on a stool and is branded a sinner and a liar. Later, Miss Temple, the caring superintendent, facilitates Jane's self defense and publicly clears her of any wrongdoing. Helen and Miss Temple are Jane's two main role models who positively guide her development, despite the harsh treatment she has received from many others. The 80 pupils at Lowood are subjected to cold rooms, poor meals, and thin clothing. Many students fall ill when a typhus epidemic strikes. Helen dies of consumption in Jane's arms. When Mr. Brocklehurst's maltreatment of the students is discovered, several benefactors erect a new building and install a sympathetic management committee to moderate Mr. Brocklehurst's harsh rule. Conditions at the school then improve dramatically. Thornfield Hall After six years as a student and two as a teacher at Lowood, Jane decides to leave in pursuit of a new life, growing bored of her life at Lowood. Her friend and confidant, Miss Temple, also leaves after getting married. Jane advertises her services as a governess in a newspaper. A housekeeper at Thornfield Hall, Alice Fairfax, replies to Jane's advertisement. Jane takes the position, teaching Adele Varens, a young French girl. One night, while Jane is carrying a letter to the post from Thornfield, a horseman and dog pass her. The horse slips on ice and throws the rider. Despite the rider's surliness, Jane helps him get back onto his horse. Later, back at Thornfield, she learns that this man is Edward Rochester, master of the house. Adele was left in his care when her mother abandoned her. It is not immediately apparent whether Adele is Rochester's daughter or not. At Jane's first meeting with Mr. Rochester, he teases her, accusing her of bewitching his horse to make him fall. Jane stands up to his initially arrogant manner despite his strange behavior. Mr. Rochester and Jane soon come to enjoy each other's company and they spend many evenings together. Odd things start to happen at the house, such as a strange laugh being heard, a mysterious fire in Mr. Rochester's room, from which Jane saves Rochester by rousing him and throwing water on him and the fire and an attack on a house guest named Mr. Mason. After Jane saves Mr. Rochester from the fire, he thanks her tenderly and emotionally, and that night Jane feels strange emotions of her own towards him. The next day, however, he leaves unexpectedly for a distant party gathering, and several days later returns with the whole party, including the beautiful and talented Blanche Ingram. Jane sees that Blanche and Mr. Rochester favor each other and starts to feel jealous particularly because she also sees that Blanche is snobbish and heartless. Jane then receives word that Mrs. Reed has suffered a stroke and is calling for her. Jane returns to Gateshead and remains there for a month to tend to her dying aunt. Mrs. Reed confesses to Jane that she wronged her, bringing forth a letter from Jane's paternal uncle, Mr. John Eyre, in which he asks for her to live with him and be his heir. Mrs. Reed admits to telling Mr. Eyre that Jane had died of fever at Lowood. Soon afterward, Mrs. Reed dies, and Jane helps her cousins after the funeral before returning to Thornfield. Back at Thornfield, Jane broods over Mr. Rochester's rumored impending marriage to Blanche Ingram. However, one midsummer evening, Rochester baits Jane by saying how much he will miss her after getting married and how she will soon forget him. The normally self controlled Jane reveals her feelings for him. Rochester then is sure that Jane is sincerely in love with him, and he proposes marriage. Jane is at first skeptical of his sincerity before accepting his proposal. She then writes to her uncle John, telling him of her happy news. As she prepares for her wedding, Jane's forebodings arise when a strange woman sneaks into her room one night and rips Jane's wedding veil in two. As with the previous mysterious events, Mr. Rochester attributes the incident to Grace Poole, one of his servants. During the wedding ceremony, however, Mr. Mason and a lawyer declare that Mr. Rochester cannot marry because he is already married to Mr. Mason's sister, Bertha. Mr. Rochester admits this is true, but explains that his father tricked him into the marriage for her money. Once they were united, he discovered that she was rapidly descending into congenital madness, and so he eventually locked her away in Thornfield, hiring Grace Poole as a nurse to look after her. When Grace gets drunk, Rochester's wife escapes and causes the strange happenings at Thornfield. It turns out that Jane's uncle, Mr. John Eyre, is a friend of Mr. Mason's and was visited by him soon after Mr. Eyre received Jane's letter about her impending marriage. After the marriage ceremony is broken off, Mr. Rochester asks Jane to go with him to the south of France and live with him as a husband and wife, even though they cannot be married. Jane is tempted but must stay true to her Christian values and beliefs. Refusing to go against her principles and despite her love for Rochester, Jane leaves Thornfield at dawn before anyone else is up. Morehouse Jane travels as far from Thornfield as she can using the little money she had previously saved. She accidentally leaves her bundle of possessions on the coach and is forced to sleep on the moor. She unsuccessfully attempts to trade her handkerchief and gloves for food. Exhausted and starving, she eventually makes her way to the home of Diana and Mary Rivers, but is turned away by the housekeeper. She collapses on the doorstep, preparing for her death. Clergyman St. John Rivers, Diana and Mary's brother, rescues her. After Jane regains her health, St. John finds her a teaching position at a nearby village school. Jane becomes good friends with the sisters, but St. John remains aloof. The sisters leave for governess jobs and St. John becomes slightly closer to Jane. St. John learns Jane's true identity and astounds her by telling that her uncle John Eyre has died and left her his entire fortune of 20,000 pounds, equivalent to just over 2 million in 2021. When Jane questions him further, St. John reveals that John Eyre is also his and his sister's uncle. They had once hoped for a share of the inheritance but were left virtually nothing. Jane, overjoyed by finding that she has living and friendly family members, insists on sharing the money equally with her cousins, and Diana and Mary come back to live at Morehouse. Proposals Thinking that the pious and conscientious Jane will make a suitable missionary's wife, St. John asks her to marry him and to go with him to India, not out of love but out of duty. Jane initially accepts going to India but rejects the marriage proposal, suggesting they travel as brother and sister. As soon as Jane's resolve against marriage to St. John begins to weaken, she mystically hears Mr. Rochester's voice calling her name. Jane then returns to Thornfield to find only blackened ruins. She learns that Mr. Rochester's wife set the house on fire and died after jumping from the roof. In his rescue attempts, Mr. Rochester lost a hand and his eyesight. Jane reunites with him, but he fears that she will be repulsed by his condition. Am I hideous, Jane? He asks. Very, sir. You always were, you know, she replies. When Jane assures him of her love and tells him that she will never leave him, Mr. Rochester proposes again, and they are married. They live together in an old house in the woods called Ferdian Manor. Rochester regains sight in one eye two years after his and Jane's marriage, and he sees their newborn son. The early sequences in which Jane is sent to Lowood, a harsh boarding school, are derived from the author's own experiences. Helen Burns's death from tuberculosis, referred to as consumption, recalls the death of Charlotte Bronte's sisters, Elizabeth and Maria, who died of the disease in childhood as a result of the conditions at their school, the Clergy Daughters' School at Cowan Bridge near Tunstall, Lancashire. Mr. Brocklehurst is based on Rev. William Carris Wilson, 1791-1859, the evangelical minister who ran the school, Additionally, John Reed's decline into alcoholism and dissolution recalls the life of Charlotte's brother, Branwell, who became an opium and alcohol addict in the years preceding his death. Finally, like Jane, Charlotte became a governess. These facts were revealed to the public in The Life of Charlotte Bronte, 1857, by Charlotte's friend and fellow novelist, Elizabeth Gaskell. The Gothic manor of Thornfield Hall was probably inspired by North Lees Hall near Hathersage in the Peak District. This was visited by Charlotte Bronte and her friend Ellen Nussie in the summer of 1845 and is described by the latter in a letter dated July 22, 1845. It was the residence of the Eyre family, and its first owner, Agnes Ashurst, was reputedly confined as a lunatic in a padded second-floor room. It has been suggested that the Wycollar Hall in Lancashire, close to Haworth, provided the setting for Ferndean Manor, to which Mr. Rochester retreats after the fire at Thornfield. There are similarities between the owner of Ferndean, Mr. Rochester's father, and Henry Cunliffe, who inherited Wycollar in the 1770s and lived there until his death in 1818. One of Cunliffe's relatives was named Elizabeth Eyre, nay, Cunliffe. The sequence in which Mr. Rochester's wife sets fire to the bed curtains was prepared in an August 1830 homemade publication of Bronte's The Young Men's Magazine No. 2. Charlotte Bronte began composing Jane Eyre in Manchester, and she likely envisioned Manchester Cathedral Churchyard as the burial place for Jane's parents and Manchester as the birthplace of Jane herself. The novel has been adapted into a number of other forms, including theater, film, television, and at least two full-length operas by Jean Joubert, 1987-1997, and Michael Berkeley, 2000. The novel has also been the subject of a number of significant rewritings and related interpretations, notably Jean Rice's seminal 1966 novel, Wide Sargasso Sea. On May 19, 2016, Kathy Marston's ballet adaptation was premiered by the Northern Ballet at the Cass Theatre in Doncaster, England, with Dreda Blow as Jane and Javier Torres as Rochester. In November 2016, a manga adaptation by Crystal S. Chan was published by Manga Classics Inc. with artwork by Sunako Lee. Contemporary Reviews Jane Eyre's initial reception contrasts starkly to its reputation today. In 1848, Elizabeth Rigby, later Elizabeth Eastlake, reviewed Jane Eyre in the Quarterly Review, found it preemptively an anti Christian composition, declaring, We do not hesitate to say that the tone of mind and thought which has overthrown authority and violated every code human and divine abroad, and fostered Chartism and rebellion at home, is the same which has also written Jane Eyre. An anonymous review in The Mirror of Literature, Amusement, and Instruction writes of The Extraordinary Daring of the Writer of Jane Eyre. However, the review is mostly critical, summarizing There is not a single natural character throughout the work. Everybody moves on stilts. The opinions are bad. The notion's absurd. Religion is stabbed in the dark. Our social distinctions attempted to be leveled, and all absurdly moral notions done away with. There were some who felt more positive about the novel contemporaneously, like G. H. Lewis, who said, It reads like a page out of one's own life, and so do many other pages in the book. Another critic from the Atlas wrote, It is full of youthful vigor of freshness and originality, of nervous diction and concentrated interest. It is a book to make the pulses gallop and the heart beat, and to fill the eyes with tears. A review in the era praised the novel calling it an extraordinary book, observing that there is much to ponder over, rejoice over, and weep over, and its ably written pages, much of the heart laid bare and the mind explored, much of greatness and affliction and littleness in the ascendant, much of trial and temptation, of fortitude and resignation, of sound sense and Christianity, but no tameness. The People's Journal compliments the novel's vigor, stating that, The reader never tires, never sleeps. The swell and tide of an affluent existence, an irresistible energy, bears him onward from first to last. It is impossible to deny that the author possesses native power in an uncommon degree, showing itself now in rapid headlong recital, now in stem, fierce, daring dashes in portraiture, anon in subtle, startling mental anatomy. Here in a grand illusion, there is an original metaphor, again in a wild gush, of genuine poetry. American publication The Nineteenth Century defends the novel against accusations of immorality, describing it as, A work which has produced a decided sensation in this country and in England. Jane Eyre has made its mark upon the age and even palsied the talons of mercenary criticism. Yes, critics hired to abuse or paganerize at so much per line have felt a throb of human feeling pervade their veins. At the perusal of Jane Eyre, this is extraordinary, almost preternatural, smacking strongly of the miraculous, and yet it is true. We have seen Jane Eyre put down as a work of gross immorality, and its author described as the very incarnation of sensualism. To anyone who has read the work, this may look ridiculous and yet it is true. The indicator concerning speculation regarding the gender of the author wrote, We doubt not it will soon cease to be a secret, but on one assertion we are willing to risk our critical reputation, and that is that no woman wrote it. This was our decided conviction at the first perusal, and a somewhat careful study of the work has strengthened it. No woman in all the annals of feminine celebrity ever wrote such a style terse yet eloquent, and filled with energy bordering sometimes on almost rudeness. No woman ever conceived such masculine characters as those portrayed here. 20th Century Literary critic Jerome Beatty believed the close first-person perspective leaves the reader too uncritically accepting of her worldview and often leads reading and conversation about the novel towards supporting Jane, regardless of how irregular her ideas or perspectives are. In 2003, the novel was ranked number 10 in the BBC's survey The Big Read. Romance Genre Before the Victorian era, Jane Austen wrote literary fiction that influenced later popular fiction, as did the work of the Bronte sisters, produced in the 1840s. Bronte's love romance incorporates elements of both the Gothic novel and Elizabethan drama, and demonstrates the flexibility of the romance novel form. Themes throughout the novel Race Throughout the novel, there are frequent themes relating to ideas of ethnicity, specifically that of Bertha, which are a reflection of the society that the novel is set within. Mr. Rochester claims to have been forced to take on a mad Creole wife, a woman who grew up in the West Indies and who is thought to be of mixed-race descent. In the analysis of several scholars, Bertha plays the role of the racialized other throughout the shared belief that she chose to follow in the footsteps of her parents. Her alcoholism and apparent mental instability cast her as someone who is incapable of restraining herself, almost forced to submit to the different vices she is a victim of. Many writers of the period believe that one could develop mental instability or mental illnesses simply based on their race. This means that those who were born of ethnicities associated with a darker complexion or those who were not fully of European descent were believed to be more mentally unstable than their white European counterparts were. According to American scholar Susan Meyer, in writing Jane Eyre, Bronte was responding to the seemingly inevitable analogy in 19th-century European texts, which compared white women with blacks in order to degrade both groups, and assert the need for white male control. Bertha serves as an example of both the multiracial population and of a clean European, as she is seemingly able to pass as a white woman for the most part, but also is hinted towards being of an impure race, since she does not come from a purely white or European lineage. The title that she is given by others of being a Creole woman leaves her a stranger where she is not black but is also not considered to be white enough to fit into higher society. Unlike Bertha, Jane Eyre is thought of as being sound of mind before the reader is able to fully understand the character, simply because she is described as having a complexion that is pale and she has grown up in a European society rather than in an animalistic setting like Bertha. Jane is favored heavily from the start of her interactions with Rochester, simply because, like Rochester himself, she's deemed to be of a superior ethnic group than that of his first wife. While she still experiences some forms of repression throughout her life—the events of the Lowood Institution—none of them are as heavily taxing on her as that which is experienced by Bertha. Both women go through acts of suppression on behalf of the men in their lives. Yet, Jane is looked at with favor because of her supposed beauty that can be found in the color of her skin. While both are characterized as falling outside of the normal feminine standards of this time, Jane is thought of as superior to Bertha because she demands respect and is able to use her talents as a governess, whereas Bertha is seen as a creature to be confined in the attic, away from polite society. Feminism The idea of the equality of men and women emerged in the Victorian period. R. B. Martin described Jane Eyre as the first major feminist novel, although there is not a hint in the book of any desire for political, legal, educational, or even intellectual equality between the sexes. This is illustrated in Chapter 23, when Jane responds to Rochester's callous and indirect proposal. Do you think I am an automaton? A machine without feelings? Do you think because I am poor, obscure, plain, and little, I am soulless and heartless? You think wrong. I have as much soul as you, and full as much heart. I am not talking to you now through the medium of custom, conventionalities, nor even of mortal flesh. It is my spirit that addresses your spirit, just as if both had passed through the grave as we stood at God's feet, equal, as we are. The novel acted as a catalyst to feminist criticism with the publication by S. Gilbert and S. Gubars' The Madwoman in the Attic, 1979, the title of which alludes to Rochester's Wife. The Brontes' fictions were cited by feminist critic Ellen Moores as prime examples of female gothic, exploring women's entrapment within domestic space and subjection to patriarchal authority and the transgressive and dangerous attempts to subvert and escape such restriction. Both Wuthering Heights and Jane Eyre explore this theme. Thank you for joining Bite at a Time Books behind the story today, while we answered some of the questions you have about one of your favorite classic authors. If you enjoyed our show, be sure to follow us so you get all the new episodes. If you want to see exclusive behind-the-scenes of our show, join our Patreon. We would also love for you to drop us a rating on your favorite podcast platform and share our show with your friends. You can catch us on all the social medias at Byte at a Time Books. Also, be sure to check us on our website, story.com. Our show is part of the Byte at a Time Books Productions Network. If you would also like to hear a story by the author we are currently featuring, Check out the Bite at a Time Books podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Right now, we are reading Jane Eyre. Again, my name is Bree Carlisle, and I hope you come back next week when we answer more questions about one of your favorite classic authors.